Hi, everyone. I'm Barry Pearl, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Welcome to another edition of On Screen and Beyond, the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This is episode 240 of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak, and this week... We have a great guest coming your way once again. We are going back to 1978 for the movie Grease, and we have one of the T-Birds with us. That's right, Duty is here. Barry Pearl is going to be joining us, and a lot of people remember Barry for his role as Duty. Of course, it's just a great film, a, a, a big film, and people tend to remember him for that. But he's done so many other things. We're going to talk about all those things, and it's coming up in just a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. So be sure to stick around for that. And we are in the holiday season, so uh, everybody's shopping, and we would appreciate it very much if, uh, while you're doing your shopping, if you're going to be doing shopping online, go to onscreenandbeyond.com and click on one of our sponsors. It'll take you to their site, and you can do all your shopping, okay? And if you're going to them anyways, all it's going to do is send you through our site to their site. It'll give us credit for uh, getting you there. And it'll help the show, help support the show, keep us going to get more interviews for you. And uh, we'd appreciate that very much. Uh, at this time of year, everybody's out there shopping and everything. So if you're going to do it, help out on screen and beyond. We'd appreciate it very much. So what do you say? Why don't we get right into uh, Remake Madness? Because I, I, I got, got to get you right to Barry. He's going to be coming with us, and Barry Pearl is here. So stick around for that. It's coming up. In a few minutes, right here on On Screen Beyond, right now, let's go to Remake Madness. Find out what's coming away as far as remakes. Please hang up and try again. Remake Madness, well, the remake of Tarzan is moving along as they look for who will play the role of the big guy, Tarzan. We'll keep you informed on that. Another remake of The Little Rascals is in the works, and Doris Roberts is going to star in this. She's not going to be one of The Little Rascals, of course, but uh, you know it's going to go direct to video, so we'll keep you informed on that one. And a remake of The Canterville Ghost is in the works, but this time it's an animated version. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as upcoming new movies. It's right here on On Screen and Beyond. Upcoming new movies, well, Guillermo del Toro will be directing a sci-fi fantasy called Heaven Sent, and they're keeping it under wraps about uh, what the plot is all about, so we'll let you know as soon as we know. Disney is developing a film called Happy Birthday. It's about a guy on the verge of turning 40 as he relives some of the worst birthdays moments in his life. So uh, sort of sounds like Groundhog, sort of that thing, you know. And let's see, Nicolas Cage will star in Left Behind in 2014, and the film centers on a group of people as they struggle to survive in the aftermath of a rapture that has removed people of a Christian faith from Earth. That sounds interesting. That is it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at some sequels coming your way. And I'll tell you, there's some good ones. It's next right here on On Screen and Beyond. 
Sequel City, well, Star Trek Into Darkness from J.J. Abrams will land in theaters on May 17th. And Thor, The Dark World, with Chris Hemsworth, is set for a November 8th, 2013 release. And it had to happen sooner or later. A sequel to Casablanca called Return to Casablanca is in the works over at Warner Brothers. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they're doing it. Uh, I, I can almost guarantee that none of the original cast will be in the film, unless they're going to do some of that tricky stuff, you know, with the, the screen things and everything. But anyways, that is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as TV on DVD. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TV on DVD, well, Bonanza, the official fifth season, Volume 1 and Volume 2, will hit the streets on the same day on February 12th. January 8th, you can get Hearts of Fire, the complete series starring John Ritter and Marky Posts. And on February 19th, Battlestar Galactica, Blood and Chrome, the unrated edition, comes to DVD and Blu-ray. That's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as movies on DVD. Denzel Washington in Flight lands in stores in March. And also in March, you can get James Bond in Skyfall on Blu-ray and DVD. And Tim Burton's Frankenweenie makes its way into stores in February. That is it for movies coming out on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we got a great guest coming your way. Barry Pearl is on his way, and he is going to be talking about Grease because he was one of the T-Birds with John Travolta and a whole gang there, and he was duty in the film. Classic film. That's one of those films that uh, it's, it's, it's not really, really old, but it's just a classic film. You can't deny it. It's just such a great film. So if you get a chance and you haven't seen it, be sure to see that, but uh, it's uh, everybody's seen it because Grease is such a, f- a great film. So anyways... Barry's going to be coming on next on On Screen and Beyond, and I got to tell you, he's done so much else that uh, you know you may not know. Of course, you know his duty. He, of course, uh, he also is a director, and he has a connection with Barney, the Purple Dinosaur. We're going to ask him about all those things. It's coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> Today on On Screen and Beyond, our guest is a stage and screen actor who has appeared on Barney Miller, Hill Street Blues, Major Dad, ER, Even Stevens, and many other shows, but we all remember him for his role as the T-Bird duty in the 1978 hit movie, Grease. It's Barry Pearl. Barry, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. It's great to be here. Barry, 2013 will bring us to the 35th anniversary of Grease. It will indeed. Do, does it seem like it was that long ago? 
Well, you know, you, you, you can ask that of anything, you know, and at my age, uh, I, I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, it seems like eons ago, or, you know, it only seems like yesterday. Either one of those answers work. I will say that I am in constant touch with many of my castmates. Really? And therefore, it, it continues to keep the experience fresh for us so that it does seem like it only happened yesterday, if that makes any sense yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. What was it like on the set of Grease? Was it, was it pretty wild, or, or, or should know, I say yeah, offset? The funny thing is that through the years, we've all been asked that question, and it's, uh, I think, part of everyone's desire to want to know if there's some kind of salacious stuff <laughs> that goes down in any given experience. And... Uh, it, it, I wish I could answer with all kinds of um, uh, quest, uh, 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 stories about you know, who was doing who and what was <laughs> happening and uh, you know in the trailers and what drugs were done. And, but you know, it was a clean set. I mean, the, the most rocking and rolling that went on with uh, uh, any of the cast members was our dear departed and sweet, sweet old friend of mine, Jeff Conaway, who kept his uh, trailer, you know, rocking back and forth. <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, it was, you know, it was clean fun. And, and I think the operative word there is fun. We really had a great, great time working together. Some of us had worked uh, together before in other projects, and one of them being the stage play of Greece. Yes. In fact, Travolta and I had done this, the uh, first national tour, him playing Duty, the role that I did in the movie, right. and me playing Sonny. Of course, the movie and the stage play, the characters were slightly different. There wasn't a character of, uh, called Putsy, played by my sweet, dear friend Kelly Ward. Mm -hmm. um, Putsy, basically, in the stage play, was embodied in the character of Duty, which is what Travolta played. Travolta played the underling. The Putsy character, basically, is a good frame of reference for your listeners who are, are only familiar with the, the film. Mm -hmm. And then the Sonny character that I played opposite him uh, was very much like the character that I play in the film, the character of Duty. So they changed all the names around. There was a character of Roger in the play, which is basically the character of Sonny in the movie, the character that Michael Tucci plays, mm -hmm. a yeah. sweet old dear friend. So um, to, to answer your question again, to reiterate, we just had a great time, and there there wasn't anything sorted that you know that that went on that we can um, you know bite our teeth into, yeah. if you will. Well, the reason I ask is not not to find dig up dirt or anything like that, but uh, the I had the guys from uh, Porky's yeah. on the show one time, and and they were telling us that they filmed mostly at night. So what happened was is you know. By the time you're up all night, that you might as well stay up. So they they'd stay up all night and go golfing and yeah. you know, so so well, they were so we did, basically, we basically have, wiped out. Pardon me. They were basically wiped out. Right, uh, uh, we did have um, uh, many days of night shooting actually, and you, you know you kind of turn your your body clock around, and it usually would end on a Friday, so you'd have your weekend to uh, to pretty much recover. Uh, there is also supposed to be a 12-hour turnaround per the uh, the unions. Uh, rules. Um, so I can see how that can completely, you know, knock you haywire. But with us, uh, you know, th there was, we, we had some fun times. I mean, we would hang, we would hang out on days off or afterwards. Um, Travolta once took us to, uh, it, was, it was all the t it was Jeff, may he rest in peace, Kelly, 
who played uh, Pudsey, as I mentioned, and Michael Tucci played Sonny, and myself, we all went out one night. Uh, John's limo picked us up, and we went to a to, we went first to an Italian dinner, and then we went to a strip club, <laughs> and then back to John's place. At the time, he was he had an apartment in uh, in um, near Beverly Hills, and I remember sitting there and him talking to us about the love of his life at the time was a woman by the name of Diana Highland, who was the mother for a little while on a series called Eight is Enough. Oh, okay. She was a bit older than him, so it was kind of what they call a May-December relationship, and uh, talked to us about his first kiss with her, and um, and actually how she, I believe, even died in his arms. She suffered from cancer, I want to say, and he was it was the first great, great love of his life. So I remember that happening uh, that evening, and and uh, just sharing stories and a good time, and you know. But beyond that, there, there, you know, again, wasn't anything that uh, that you might, uh, you know, find in some kind of uh, pulp fiction novel, you know, <laughs> if you will. But we we just had a grand time. We loved it. We loved each other so much, and still do. Yeah. When you audition for the part of, well, I don't know. Did you audition for yes. duty, or do, were you going for Sonny? Or? I was. I was basically thinking that I was reading for Sonny, mm-hmm. and then they told me it was duty, and it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> In fact, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall at the uh, Royale Theater, uh, where Greece was playing at the time, uh, when people backstage heard that I was doing duty. You know, I'd, like I said, done Sonny on the first national tour. I'd actually replaced Michael Lembeck, who, who originated the role on tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I would have loved to have seen and, and heard the reactions. Barry playing duty? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but what it turned out to be is what I had described. Um, so, uh, uh, yes, we, we all did have to audition. And in my mind, I, I fancy a rather interesting story in that we we had a first audition where we sang, I believe, and then we had a callback in which we we read the scenes. We may have even had a second callback, but in the very last callback, uh, the very last thing they had us do was they separated the guys and the gals. They put the, the girls on one side of the room and the guys on the other side of the room. And our task was to meet... Uh, one by one, or two by two, I should say, a girl and a guy in the center of the room. We stood in a line, and first person in the line met with the first person in the, the line of the girls. And we would meet in the center of the room, and the task was that the guy had to somehow uh, uh, convince the girl to d- dance with him and then convince her to leave with him, to just walk off the stage in some fashion. Mm-hmm. So in the play... Uh, first of all, in the play, the role of Cha-Cha, uh, the character is rather slovenly and very overweight. Uh, that's the joke mm-hmm. in the play, that Kaniki comes to the dance with this, you know, a person who, who looks like a school bus dressed in this crazy yellow dress. Mm-hmm. And uh, But in the movie, it changed to uh, to be... Our beloved and late and dear friend uh, Annette Cardona, or Annette Charles was her stage name, mm-hmm. uh, this hot Latina. But in the play, again, uh, it's, it's this not-so-good-looking overweight girl. So uh, at the end of the dance sequence in the play, Sonny, through the course of the play, uh, through, through the course of that scene, gets drunk at the dance. He doesn't dance and sing with everybody else. He just gets drunk. And as the scene shifts, as people... 
uh, the scene ends and the people are leaving the uh, the gym, the school gym. Sonny uh, makes his way up the stairs, a stair unit, and Cha-Cha has been left alone. Uh, Danny and she, of course, have won the dance contest, but he goes off on his own, stealing the uh, the, the, the prizes, the record albums, and the, and the two uh, uh, passes to the Twilight Drive-In Theater, and has given her the two trophies that were made. <laughs> so she's sadly kind of walking off on her own and is up on this platform, and as Sonny comes up the steps in a drunken state, he looks at her, and actually his head comes up under her dress accidentally. She backs up, he looks at her, and falls back down the steps and then runs back up and runs off. Mm -hmm. So my idea for the audition was I wanted to wait to be the last person, and I was hoping against hope that the least attractive girl in the line of girls on the other side of the room would also hang back and wait for me because I wanted it to be her that I met on the dance floor, and I was going to pretend to be drunk and do something. It was all improvised. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to act drunk and then let it go from there. So it came down to me and another guy that were at the end, and there were two girls on the other side of the room, one less attractive than the other. And I'm praying that the less attractive one and the overweight one would just hang back. And as fate would have it, she did. Mm -hmm. And we were the last couple on the floor. I had had a styrofoam cup. And I remember I was wearing a pair of jeans that had cuffs on them, or I rolled them up. And I staggered out to the dance floor with her. I took the cup that I was drinking from, took the last swig, and then put the cup in my cuff, and it stayed there. It got a laugh from everybody. And then I, I took a hold of her and started to dance a slow dance with her. And I put my hand on her tushy, <laughs> on her, her bottom. She then, with her one hand, removes my hand as we're in an embrace, and I don't remember whether she guided me away or I guided both of us onto my buttocks. And I continue to dance slowly as I'm caressing my buttocks, thinking in this drunken stupor that it is her buttocks. <laughs> and that got a laugh, and P.S., the rest is history. Yeah. Now she never got the role, but I got the role. <laughs> you know, but that's that was my that was my audition story. So so when you left that audition, did oh, you? Well, I'll tell you when we left the audition, and this is a rare uh, hap uh, happening. They actually kept Michael and Kelly, and John I think was there, uh, and Jeff Conaway. They had us around the uh, the piano in the corner of the room away from the deciding group of the tribunal the people watching us which included the choreographer and the, and the director casting director and so forth and writers and such and I remember us standing there and Alan Carr comes over to us and says you're our T-Birds ah, so you knew ahead you knew right, right away okay I was going to ask if you if you felt good with your audition yeah. um, but you already knew that's, that's we, great they told us right then and there that we were the guys Wow. I can't remember if the girls were there or not, but the guys certainly were at that piano, and we were ecstatic. Couldn't believe what we, what we were hearing, because early on, Brian, we were told, we, those of us that were in the stage play were told that we didn't have a chance at any of these roles in the film, that uh, they were going to cast you know, kids that had never done it before. So we didn't think we had a leg up by having done the play. I would think that, you know, having been doing this for all this time, they would have jumped at the chance to get one of you guys. It's never what you think it is. Right, yep. 
Yep. You know, you, yeah, you think it's a feather in your cap, but oftentimes they want a tablia rosa, right. somebody that's not been encrusted with uh, the way the way things were. Yeah. You know? yeah. Now, since you worked with John on on the touring group, and do you think that that helped you with the chemistry on film? Because you guys seem to be, you know, really friends. And I know you're actors, and you can and act that stuff. But sometimes you can tell if if it's acting. You guys generally seem to be friends. One of the quote unquote, to quote myself, proverbial um, uh, feathers in our cap was in fact that we did have relationships uh, prior to. Michael Tucci, who plays Sonny in the film, uh, had understudied us um, in the second national. I keep wanting to say second at the first national tour, um, and and so I knew Michael. I certainly knew John and Jeff Conaway. May he rest in peace. Was one of my oldest friends. Wow. We knew each other from New York. And in my life, he was a Danny Zuko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This kind of tall, bully-type guy that I kind of envied and didn't like. I wanted to be like him, but I didn't like him, you know, because yeah. I was jealous of him. And um, so we grew up together. But when I went out on tour, when I'd replaced Lembeck, actually before I replaced, I replaced Lembeck because he, he'd actually broken his ankle. That's a whole other story. And uh, Conaway at the time was playing the role of Zuko. And he was, in my book even to this day, with all due respect to John, Jeff was the definitive Danny Zuko. Uh And also with respect to Barry Bostwick, who's a dear friend and who created the role, Jeff was the guy. Uh Because he was the guy in my life. And he did it so well. So I knew Jeff. As far as the ladies go, uh, I knew of Jamie Donnelly, who plays Jan, but I'd never met the other gals. I uh, certainly had not met Stockard and, um, and Olivia. So those of us that knew each other, um, uh, those of us who knew each other, w- w- yes, we did have that element going for ourselves. But then, above and beyond that, everybody just took everybody in. Nobody was competing. Everybody was there for a common cause, and that was to make a good picture. Mm-hmm. Did you guys and ever... so we, and again to this day we all are in touch and we all still get along you know very very well. Yeah, yeah. Did you realize no. when you were making how you ask, big that was going to be? TV or to your TV viewing audience for your your yeah. listeners, we had no clue that this was going to be the hit that it was. I mean, was, it was that what you a, were going to? Ask? Yeah, it was such a great movie. Yeah, it, you know nobody you nobody has a crystal ball, Brian. And if they tell you, oh, yeah, we knew right, you, you know that you have maybe you're working with good material. Yeah. You never know how it's going to cut together and how it's going to be beyond that, how it's going to be received. Mm-hmm. We were very fortunate in that way. Yeah. So we didn't realize that it was going to be the phenomenon that it became yeah. and feel blessed that it did. Yeah. Now, we're, I, I can't, I'm trying to remember if you were part of the mooning scene. Were you? Yeah. You were. <laughs> now, oh, how yeah. was it? How did you feel when they say, okay, you're got on, on a, a big. National release picture. You're going to be mooning people. <laughs> Never gave it a second thought because I had uh, done a play back in New York, a musical back in New York, where I had to completely disrobe. You've been mooning for years. For right? well, years, I'm a mooner from way back, so I had no problem with that whatsoever. I just, you know, and I know that people, people giggle and. Uh, uh, have given me a hard time about it, but it never—it just has never bothered me. You know, I think that's part of the wild abandon that is helpful for those of us who act. If you can do that, Brian, 
you can pretty much pull down the pants of any considerations you may have about playing any role. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah I, that's a kind of a blanket statement, but it's one that I really believe in, that when you can uh, undress your body and show that most intimate thing in your life, then uh, it, it will manifest itself on your ability to take down the walls that you have about any other aspect that you that you need to play. I mean, I'm not a serial killer, but I could play one on TV. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to go out and do that to be able to convincingly, convincingly play one of those uh, right. kinds of characters. Yeah. You guys did such a great job on that film. It was just really... Thank you. Just, Thank you that, so, so much. Now, what's the funniest behind-the-scenes story that you can share with us? Oh, goodness. Um, the funniest. Well, I, I don't know how funny this is, but I had always wanted to uh, be flown on stage, like a Peter Pan kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I had so looked forward to that scene at the end of um, Beauty School Dropout, where Kelly and I fly across and Michael is, uh, is uh, 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 dropped down from the middle and then is hoisted back up. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rig that they made for us... Um, was not one of those flying by foy rigs, as real, uh, you know, very comfortable rigs. They actually took the this jean material and put fleece in the in the, uh, the they cut them off at the knees and put laces there. So we are actually strapped in just above the knees, and all the weight uh, hanging, you know, of our body as we hung there was pretty much on our knees and in our groin. We should take the, the pressure off the run. So where I was so looking forward to this, uh, we were literally hanging around all day, and it became rather uncomfortable to the point, you know, that our extremities started to, to, to wow. get numb. Yeah. So, um, and other than that, I, I, others have funny stories that they tell about their experiences. Uh, there was the experience of uh, in the in the gym when we were, or yeah, it was a gym. Uh, when we were filming the dance, it was so hot in there, there was no air conditioning system, and right next door there was a meatpacking plant, and we were smelling this raw meat and sausage coming through, <laughs> the point where Michael Tucci actually fainted and had to be taken off the set. Oh, uh, and again, I'm telling you stories that aren't so funny, but these are stories that I remember. Right, yeah. uh, When we began filming in the L.A. riverbed uh, for what became the chase, mm -hmm. the grease lightning car chase, yeah. um, the water that was in the in the center portion of that um the LA riverbed mm -hmm. again it's all concrete but there's a center section as you can see in the movie of brown rusty looking water yeah. well the first day um uh, Randall Kleiser our director and it was in the dead of summer so he was in shorts and he had a little cut on his uh, calf well we filmed the first day and the second day we had to cancel shooting cuz his leg got infected and he Ooh. came down with a really high fever Oh, that was hundreds of thousands of dollars that was wasted that day because he couldn't make make it on the set. Wow. So there's that story. So what happened, what wound up happening is they wrapped our feet in saran wrap before they would then put our socks and shoes on because we had to run through that water. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, you know, there's that story. Um, and then there's the story. It was our last uh, day of night shooting. And uh, uh, I, at the time, wasn't eating red meat, only chicken and fish. And um, uh, they served me, they served everybody else whatever the meat dish was, but they served me cold Dungeness crab 
as they had to Stockard Channing's then husband, David. And uh, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, because it was a night shoot, uh, we're finished, and I'm home, and I'm in the shower, and I start showering off, and I start breaking out in hives. I'd never broken out in hives before. In fact, I'd never had any allergies at all coming from the East Coast, but as soon as I moved out here to California, I, I became allergic to everything but paper clips. Very odd. <laughs> Sneezing and itching throat and this and that and stuffy nose. But I started breaking out. I mean, terribly all over my body. And at that hour of the morning, I called my ear, nose, and throat doctor, and he told me to take an antihistamine and go to bed. An hour later, uh, I could hardly breathe. Called him back, and he said, get to the hospital right away, which I did. I couldn't recognize myself. That was the weird thing. You'd walk into the bathroom, into the mirror, and I looked like the Frankenstein monster. My, monster, my, my head, my forehead was way out in front. It was just awful. Wow. Literally did not recognize myself. So when I got to the hospital, they shot me in the hip with Benadryl. Mm-hmm. I broke out in a secondary reaction all over my groin from the Benadryl, because I'm allergic <laughs> to Benadryl. And recalled that as a kid, when they would put Caladryl lotion on my poison ivy, it would get worse before it got better. So I, you know, I had no clue at that moment that that was what it was. And it got rid of the hives, but then I had to get rid of the, the secondary reaction. It subsided. But because of it, we discovered that it wasn't a bad crab. It is, in fact, Dungeness crab, which I cannot eat to this day. It happened two other times before we realized that that's what it was. Wow. But so that was kind of a tragic story. <laughs> Did you ask about tragic stories or funny yeah. stories? <laughs> stories are good, anyway. Any stories. Uh, so there are about a few. Now, now, were you ever approached to be in Greece, too? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, they had brought all of us in. There, there's something called dailies, mm-hmm. which yeah. after a day's shoot, uh, they will, uh, at the time it was film, uh, now much of it's digital, they will uh, develop the film, and the following day the powers that be sit and watch what has just been shot so that they know that they had what they need. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they begin cutting, cutting it together, of course. Well, they didn't let us see any of this stuff. The actors very rarely do anyhow. Well, about three weeks in, they said, we're, uh, we're going to show you guys some dailies just to light a fire under your butts, let you know what we're doing to see how it looks. And it was great stuff. And shortly thereafter, I remember we were filming uh, in one of the high schools, outdoors it was, because Alan Carr brought uh, the group of us, it was just the T-Birds, uh, into the area, the dining area, uh, outside again, in the quad, if you will, and told us that we have a second film we want to do, and you're all involved. In fact, we're going to call it Summer School. And if you recall, in the first film, at the uh, the beginning of the carnival sequence, uh, Duty, Sonny, and Putsy are, are walking by the cotton candy uh, uh, booth, mm-hmm. and uh, I say, I can't believe I've, I've flunked phys ed. And Putsy says, did we even take phys ed? And that is when we walk up to the pie-throwing contest, and Sid Caesar is, uh, has got his head stuck through there as Coach Calhoun, mm-hmm. and we throw pies at him and miss, and then Eugene comes by and throws a pie and actually you know, hits him, and then I throw a pie in Eugene's face. Um, but that whole setup uh, is that, that we failed uh, phys ed, and, but we can take it in summer school. We can take classes in summer school. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be called summer school, and it was going to be about us going back to summer school. Well, then at some point, Travolta backed out of it, and then Olivia backed out of it, or they did it together. They weren't happy with the material, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then that changed the face of it all, and then Grease 2 became what it became. Yeah, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, 
There was, for a long time in the works, a Grease 3 that was really going to be the Grease 2 that D.D. Khan was trying to spearhead. Uh-huh. And we all contributed notions and built a, what they call a Bible uh, that would explain the characters. And my idea that I had posed was that I wind up marrying Lorna Luft's character from Grease 2. I think the name of the character was Paulette. And we, have, we all have kids. Marty and Sonny get married. Um, and then not being able to count on Travolta, he, Zuko had gone off to become a race car driver, and he and, uh, he and Sandy split up or something. It, but it didn't initially include John, and of course, including him would have been a good thing. And then at one point at a party, Didi posed it to him, and he said that he's on board, and it was going to happen. And uh, a bunch of people at Paramount got behind the notion. Um, uh, there were some like, several teams, writing teams that were commissioned to write treatments, but nothing ever came of it. Hmm. Uh, but for a while there, it was really serious. Sherry Lansing was going to be a part of producing it, but then she left, I want to say Paramount, wherever she was. And uh, Zayden and um, Mar- was it Zayden Martin, uh, who had given us a lot of great teleplay. I can't recall some of them offhand, but... Uh, they were commissioned at one point in time to to write something, but it just never came to fruition. Yeah, so good. to answer your question initially, yes, there was supposed to we were supposed to be in Greece too, but it never happened. Yeah. Huh. Now, uh, Greece is a big part of your life, and uh, I understand that you even to this day you're, you've directed on stage Greece in the past, and you're going to be directing again in 2013. I understand. That's correct. Uh, I did a 40th anniversary. Um, production, an equity production, equity is our stage union, mm-hmm. equity production of it at the uh, Gretna Theater uh, back in Mount Gretna, Pennsylvania this past summer, the, being 2012, and uh, had a terrific time. It was the first time that I directed it on that scale and had a great cast, uh, uh, an entirely fantastic uh, creative team, and it went off swimmingly well. We, we had uh, great reviews, and I'm, yes, in preparation. In fact, I just had my first pre-production meeting uh, last night for the Cabrillo Music Theater in Thousand Oaks, California, out here. It's an 1,800-seat gorgeous theater, the Cavalier Theater at the Thousand Oaks Civic Arts Plaza, and we go into rehearsal at the beginning of March, and we open April 12th. Uh, just for two weekends, we close on the 22nd, uh, Cabrillo Music Theater. And um, now your listeners, I guess they they uh, hear it from all, all, all over the world, world right? All, all over the, the United States, at least. Yeah. So those folks that are in this area should check out Cabrillo Music Theater online and, uh, and, and check out their entire season. And, uh, and please come out and see us. Uh, we, uh, we start casting the beginning of, actually, middle of January, and as I say, going to rehearsal in March. And there will be a lot of folks from both the movie and the stage play uh, who have gone on to some notoriety, like Barry Bostwick, for instance, mm-hmm. try to get Travolta out. Uh, Didi Khan may come, come in and, and uh, come to one of the shows. So you'll, you never know who you're going to see well, in the audience on any particular night. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Uh, Who's the hardest? The and, by the way, here's another little, little added bonus. Kelly Ward, who played Putsy yeah. in the film, he's choreographing. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's the two of us. Yeah. So, so who's, the, of us. who's the hardest person for you to cast when you're casting for a, a stage play for Greece? Uh, the hardest person in Greece? Yeah, for Greece. It's in Greece? Uh, usually it's the Rizzo. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this the, the team that... Uh, I work with back in Pennsylvania. 
I didn't have to cast that production. They brilliantly cast this. And that's a little daunting, a little scary for a director to come in with a vision and hope that his paints, if you will, are bright. And I want to tell you, after we had done the first read-through of uh, on our first day of rehearsal back in Pennsylvania this past June, uh, I was so excited. I, I said to the cast, my gosh, I'm going to have to direct up to your standards because I was given a dream cast. Really? There, yeah. So we will be seeing hundreds of people out here. They will all turn out for this this production because people have not seen this original production in quite some time. Tommy Toon had taken it and reworked it, and the most recent Kathleen Marshall um, production is completely different oh. from uh, the original Bare Bones production. It's not. It's not the movie. In fact, Glee was just uh, just had a two episode arc where they had uh, they the, the, they were casting and then. Um, going into production with and presenting uh, Greece at the school. And what they did was they made a play out of a movie. But the wonderful thing about the production I did back in Pennsylvania and the one that I'm doing out here is we're going back to the basics to see where the movie sprung from. Ah, okay. You know, yeah. but uh, so from other directors who have cast the piece, they classically, they say classically it's the Rizzo that's the toughest role to cast. Mm. I, I don't know. You know, um, it, one thing out here is we have three union contracts, and then the rest of the, the cast is non-union, and they have a great non-union talent pool out here. Uh, so I'm going to be mixing and matching from uh, both those talent pools, the union and the non-union talent pool. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see who, who shows up. Sounds like it'll be a really good uh, production. Well, that's what the hope is. That's always the intent, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Was acting always your goal when yeah, you were a child? always. Always. If, um, I mean, at one point I wanted to be in medicine. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> um, so uh, instead, I, I chose a craft where, you know, I want to blow my brains out sometimes. <laughs> so, maybe being a surgeon as well to help myself. But because uh, it can be frustrating at times on all, all, a bunch of different levels, uh, especially when you're not working and you're wondering where the next gig is going to come from. But, uh, yeah, as far back as I can remember, uh, I had always... I'd been influenced by the music that played around my home. Um, my my mom, seeing that there was some talent there, uh, may she rest in peace, my mom, Sarah, uh, got me enrolled in a tap dancing class. And at the end of each year, uh, they they would, because I was the, the smallest and one of the youngest uh, kids in the class, along with a, a gal by the name of Maxine Gilman, they would build the shows, the little reviews that they would do around the two of us. So that was my first taste of performing in front of a live audience, and that bug really bit me. Uh-huh. And from there, my mom found out about the little community theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I hail from, and uh, became a part of the Lancaster Little Theater, and did a show or two there, and then had done a production of Dark at the Top of the Stairs at the Fulton Theater, one of the oldest theaters in our, in our country. This is back in 59, I want to say. And a fellow who was jobbed in from New York, an aspiring playwright by the name of Chuck Miller, Charles E. Miller, who to this day I, would, I wish I could find because he disappeared from my life when I was about 17 years old, and I don't know whatever happened to him because he, he is solely responsible for getting me into the professional theater. He had come in to, uh, to run lights 
again, an aspiring playwright, but uh, of course needed to pay the rent, so he came in to run lights for dark at the top of the stairs and took a liking to me and my mother. My mother and father had been divorced years before when I was a year old. So took a liking to the both of us and, and said to my mom, you know, Sarah, one day I'm going to get your, your son on Broadway. And two years later, the, the young fellow Johnny Borden, who was playing uh, the role of Randolph McAfee in the Broadway production of Bye Bye Birdie, had left to do a production called Milk and Honey with Molly Pecan, and it left that role open. They saw about 250 kids, and my friend Chuck was friendly with uh, the, the producer's secretary. Edward Padula was the man who produced Bye Bye Birdie. He was friends with his, his secretary, Bob Fagan. And uh, Bob told him what they were looking for, and Chuck said, hey, you know, I may have the kid. So he called my mom in Pennsylvania, and the next day I was on a train to New York, and I never went back home. Hmm. I auditioned for the play, went to work the following day, and was on by that weekend. Wow. In fact, my mother missed my opening because she went back to, to, to Pennsylvania to pack up and uh, was told that I'd be on by the following week, but uh, I got on by that Saturday. Jeez. <laughs> and, um, and then, uh, again, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. So that's, uh, it, it, it has been, you know, ever thus. I've, it's something that I've been driven by uh, ever since the tender age of 11. And again, if your listeners know Charles E. Miller, um, I'd love to be in touch with him. Uh, get in touch with Brian and see what you can do for. I've never done that. You know, I've never used the media to pursue finding this man. Who, if I were to see to this day, would and for, forgive me, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it would be like the second coming to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. Hey. And he's probably a man way up there in years now, probably in his seventies, maybe even his eighties, if he's still alive. Yeah. But he just dropped out of my life, and oh. uh, it's a sadness that I that I've always carried around with me. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, I want to take a second to look back. Everybody remembers you for Greece, of course, and, and we, we tend to look at actors as, you know, certain roles they, they appear in that, that really stand out as they're, you know, they're the one they're no, most known for. Yep. But, you know, you've done a lot of other stuff, and I'd like to touch on that so people can get an idea. Now, you appeared in many TV shows, but before Greece, you worked on CPO Sharky with Don Rickles, right? Yeah. What was it like working with Don Rickles? Uh, it, it was uh, a roller coaster, and, and but I, I came out the other end really adoring him. Uh, the story there is that I had all, I was living in New York and, and working back there doing that play, as a matter of fact, where I said I undressed mm -hmm. uh, and making a lot of money, and uh, for the for the day, and had been cast in a television pilot called Best Friends, created by Alan Sachs who, along with Gabe Kaplan, created Welcome Back, Cotter. Ah, yes. There's a web, there's a, a tapestry here where we're all connected. Because, of course, Travolta was cast to do the role of Zuko by Alan Carr, having seen him in Welcome Back, Cotter, mm -hmm. playing yeah. Vinny Barbarino. And um, uh, so they, they, there was this pilot that was being shot out here, and I had auditioned for it and wound up not getting it. But a week after they went into production, they were unhappy with the guy that they cast instead of me, and called me in New York and said, get on the next plane. 
which I, literally I did, and flew out to California and saved the day, if you will. And I had always contended that one should never go out to California from New York unless one had some vehicle, and I don't mean a car, to bring them out. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I, uh, after having done that pilot, uh, which was directed by the late Jerry Paris, ah, yes. who was Jerry the Dentist on the Dick Van Dyke Show, right. yes. and uh, his, uh, he directed every episode of Happy Days. So he took a liking to me and said, you know, why don't you come out here? You can live with me and my family, and because uh, you'd work out here. And him, along with a bunch of casting people that I'd met out here at the time, said, yeah, you'd work out here. Come on out. So I packed up lock, stock, and barrel, and I came out here on spec to California. Within a week and a half, the very first audition I went on was, for, uh, was to replace Jeff Kramer, who actually went on to produce... Uh, Ali McBeal with David Kelly. Oh, okay. um, uh, he was in the original pilot of CPO Sharky, and they weren't satisfied with the character, so they wrote him out and wrote in another character, and I auditioned for it and got it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I was on top of the world after a week and a half. Jeez. So I uh, got into production with CPO Sharky, and in the middle of that cycle, there were 13 episodes, I became disheartened because... They, they seemed not to be writing for us characters and giving a whole lot to Don, who, of course, was the, the star of the show, yeah, but yeah. who was overwhelmed oftentimes by the amount of material he was given. And we were all saying, you know, give us more stuff to do. Give us more stuff to do. Mm -hmm. And um, it became uh, an unhappy time for me. I, I, I wasn't enjoying going to work. And here, you know, I was on top of the world initially. This is 1976, getting a series, my first shot out of the gate. And by the, uh, we were finished with 13 episodes, and then the following, that was uh, the end of uh, summer 76, I guess it was, and uh, went on the air in 77, fall of 76 into 77. And when it came time for the pickup, uh, which I guess was in March of 77, um, nobody knew whether the show was going to be picked up yet or not, and I get a phone call from my agent telling me that they hadn't picked up my contract. This was on my birthday, they tell me this. They didn't know it was my birthday. It was my birthday. Right, I had a party yeah. planned that night and everything. I was really blue, to say the least. Right, yeah. And the first thing I did after hearing that was go running to Jerry Paris down at Paramount, who he was doing Happy Tate at the time, crying, oh, my, my career is over, what am I going to do? And he said to me, hey, listen, it could be the blessing in disguise. He said, when I was young, I was doing a play about, I mean, a, a television series called The Untouchables. And your, your viewers may, uh, listeners, I should say, uh, may remember Robert Stack right. being, playing Elliot Ness. Oh, yes. And uh, Jerry was in that and was written out after the first season, and he was devastated. Mm. But what wound up happening to him is he became Jerry the Dentist on the Dick Van Dyke Show, and that led to him directing the Dick Van right. Dyke Show yes. and many other things for uh, was it Sheldon Leonard and Carl Reiner and those folks. And that began his directing career, and for him, the rest is history, you know, winding up directing about one of the hottest television shows of all time, which was Happy Days. Right. So the light at the end of the tunnel looked like a truck coming at me at the time. But had I not been written out of CPO Sharky, I would not have been available to do Grease because they would not have let me out of my contract wow. in order to do Grease. So one door closed and the other opened. Yeah. Uh, as has been the case with many of us, and for me, on several different occasions. Yeah. You never know what's coming you know, ahead of you. you never, it's never what you think it is. Right. Well, what about your role as Professor Tinkerputt? Yeah, and... Brian, what about it? <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? I mean... Well, I auditioned. Uh, uh, we actually, I actually auditioned for it thinking it was some sort of an industrial. Uh, not what it, not the television show that it became. Mm -hmm. um, and I wound up getting this thing. We shot it in Texas, 
at the studios at Las Colinas, and it was Barney's uh, 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 Imagination Island, Bedtime with Barney, Imagination Island. Right. And it was the first time that the Barney uh, folks uh, took Barney to network, because it used to be a PBS. It had, up to that point, just been a PBS show. And they did this special that was sponsored by J.C. Penney, and uh, they created this crazy toy inventor character, Professor Tinkerputt. Mm-hmm. And it was a big enough success that uh, two years later, they decided to put a live show together and asked me if I'd want to join. And I did. I toured for two and a half years all over the world as Professor Tinkerputt playing for 6,000 kids at a time in venues like the Tacoma Dome and the Anaheim Convention Center and Radio City Music Hall and Universal Amphitheater. And I mean, it was spectacular two and a half years um, between uh, the United States and Mexico and Canada and the U.K. So to this day, uh, uh, you know, kids... Barney isn't as big a, a, a deal as he used to be back in the 90s right. and early 2000s. Uh, but the funny thing is, uh, I remember that in one venue, uh, we used to travel around in tour buses. We used to actually sleep in those buses sometimes. They were uh, um, equipped with uh, bunks, if you will, built into the beds. And after one performance, I'm walking out of the venue and back to the bus and standing by the buses, close to the buses, it was a family. There's a, a woman uh, holding a, about a three-year-old child and her husband and another couple and their two kids. And, and I knew they had just seen the Barney show, and um, which was called Barney's Big Surprise, mm-hmm. which is also out in video, too. Yeah. And I'm walking to the buses, and I walk past them, and I see that they're looking at me. They'd like to talk, whatever, have take an autograph, whatever, get an autograph. So I walked over to them, and, and uh, we're talking, and the woman holding the three-year-old now, again, they'd just seen the show and said to the little three-year-old, you know who this is, referring to me, and I'm expecting him to say, yeah, that's Professor Tinkerputt. And he says, yeah, duty. <laughs> <laughs> three-year-old. Now, so I have both of these incredible phenomenons right. haunting me for the rest of my career, you know, which is, a, uh, as I've always called it, a wonderful haunting. Yeah. Well, I... Can't imagine you do a lot of stage work, and, and it's it's nice to get audience you know response and everything. But to me, to perform in front of kids and and to really inspire them and and, and make them happy and smile and you know th- that must be a great feeling. It is because you, if you you got to be an you got to be honest in front of kids. I mean, brutally honest in terms of your performance. You can't snow kids. You can't con the kids. Mm-hmm. You have to believe in the character that you are portraying no matter how outside the box the character may be, no matter how much of a caricature or a cartoon that character must be for the kids because it needs to be bigger in life to assault their senses, get their attention. But you have to be committed to every millimoment that you are on that stage or before that camera to grab that kid's attention and make them believe. To suspend their disbelief is a lot harder than suspending the disbelief of adults. Right, yep. yep. You know what I'm saying? Because yep. they just won't stand for it. Yeah. They'll yeah. turn the channel or they'll, they'll walk away from the stage and cry. Right. Uh, but if you can grab a hold of their attention uh, with your honesty, and that's the only way you can grab a hold of it, uh, then you're home free. And yeah, we had to do this in front of 6,000 kids, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a day. And uh, I mean, they're there the, to see the purple guy, but then there's a right. portion of the of that particular um, uh, production where uh, I go out into this, what they call a thrust stage. It's it's this portion of the stage that juts out from the center of the stage. Mm -hmm. And I play uh, Simon Says with all the kids. And I have to have their attention, me alone, 
with amplified sound, of course. So I've got a mic on, you know, so I don't have to scream over the screaming 6,000. And to make that uh, come alive and keep their attention for what was about 10 minutes at least, that's a feat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and just the, just the, you know, if you can make kids happy, that's great. Yeah. You know, that is just the thing. And, now, and you've also portrayed the genie in Aladdin at yeah, Disney's California Adventure. Same yeah. idea, right? There's, there's certainly another. You have a lot of adults in the audience there because that humor right. uh, you know, tends to be geared towards adults. And I'm all done up in, in this wild blue makeup that takes about an hour <laughs> and almost an hour and a half to, to have put on me, as well as the suit and prosthetics and such. And yeah, but that's another one because of all the kids there. And all those characters, whether they be uh, uh, you know, elephants and camels and whatever, or the bird, uh, Iago. Yep. Yeah, you got to be just as committed. Yeah. You know, I look, we have to be committed with everything we do, but it's almost it's like a heightened commitment in a way. Yeah, hold yeah. their attention. Yeah, yeah. Well, Barry, this has been great, um, but I get two final questions for sure. you. Sure. Okay, these take us away from all your acting and everything. When you kick back, what's your favorite TV shows to watch now and in the past? What's your favorite shows? You know, surprisingly enough, uh, my favorite kind of television to watch mm-hmm. is dramatic teleplay. Uh-huh. I do not watch sitcoms. Yeah. It's almost like a busman's holiday for me. Yeah. <laughs> and by that, for people that don't understand that phrase, uh, a gentleman or a woman who drives a bus mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily want to go on a bus trip. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's what I mean by that. Uh, that uh, I am mostly cast in comedy, and therefore uh, it takes a lot for me to be, be drawn in by comedy. Comedy is, t- they say, life, is, what is the expression? Uh, uh, life is hard, but, but, uh, but a comedy is much harder. You know? uh, so I'm not that, um, that, it doesn't hold the kind of appeal that it does for many. Uh, the last comedies that I can say, Seinfeld had me completely wrapped. Mm-hmm. The old Honeymooners and the Isle of Lucy's, of course, those are classics. classics yeah. but I, and, and really, to this day, the old Three Stooges uh, shorts. In fact, uh, the uh, the, the work that we do in the movie Grease is an homage to them. Right, yeah. I was, I was a huge say that. Three Stooges fan and suggested that Sonny Duty and Putsy were influenced by them. Both Randall Kleiser, the director, and myself, we were both fans. Um, so Randall arranged to have shorts, uh, uh, Three Stooges shorts, uh, played for us uh, before we went before the cameras, and it helped give us the flavor. Yeah. I was already uh, very familiar, but the other two guys, not, not as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, to this day, I will still watch Three Stooges. Uh, uh, and, and specifically with Curly in them, as opposed yeah. to Shemp, or the, or the the more recent ones with Joe DeRita or Joe Besser. Mm-hmm. So that has always helped me. But as far as television today, I am absolutely in love with Veep, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which is on a cable network. Right. Yes. And then as far as dramatic teleplay go, goes, I have watched every episode. And by the way, when I get hooked, I watch every episode. Yes. Uh, um, uh, every episode of Grey's Anatomy. Um, uh, the the uh, uh, West Wing, I was wrapped. Every single episode of West Wing, L.A. Law, anything that Sorkin has done, the latest newsroom is tremendous. Justified that Timothy Oliphant stars and executive produces. Boardwalk Empire, I live for it. Um, uh, I just found out two days ago, uh, no, it was yesterday, 
that last resort is being taken off the air along with 666 Park Avenue, oh. which I had just removed from my TiVo, my DVR, because uh, I just couldn't keep up with everything, and it wasn't holding me as, as much as uh, Last Resort was. And the funny thing about this is I find this out yesterday, and then I get a call from Ernie Hudson. You know Ernie Hudson, who was in Ghostbusters? Yes, Ghostbusters, sure. So Ernie calls me to tell me that he was going over to Hawaii to, to shoot a, uh, a two-episode um, of two episodes of Last Resort. I said, you're kidding me. I, it's been canceled. Yeah, but they're going to play it all out, uh, I think all 13 episodes. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you're doing it. And then an acquaintance of mine, Bruce Davison, is, is in it as well. So mm-hmm, I'm yeah. thrilled that they'll at least play those, those uh, next few out. And, of, uh, uh, of course, um, uh, yes, I had mentioned Newsroom. Newsroom and waiting for all those to come back on. And then um, I'm a real big, real time with Bill Maher fan. Uh, yeah, okay. And I'm a news junkie also. And I'll watch all of them. I'll watch CNN and SNBC as, as well as Fox. I watch Fox just to tick myself off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that my out loud voice? <laughs> so there you have that. I mean, and I'll watch Hannity and I'll listen to Limbaugh again just to tick myself off. Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Just, and then I'll come back to reality and watch CNN, which is right smack in the middle. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah? yeah. Now, what about movies? What are your favorite all-time movies? Your favorite all-time movies? Well, starting with Rear Window, with, uh, which is the uh, Hitchcock, mm-hmm. with Hitchcock, uh, yes. James Stewart and Grace Kelly, Raymond Burr, uh, which was, I think, the first film I ever saw, that along with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Disney, with Kirk Douglas and James Mason. Yeah. Um, Anything that Henry Fonda did. And, you know, I have not seen the latest batch of, uh, of films, uh, Argo, Hitchcock, um, Lincoln, uh, and there is one, uh, and Skyfall. We have not seen those yet. I'm way behind. I've, as much of a junkie as I used to be, I'm finding it more and more difficult to get out and see films. Yeah. And I love the film experience despite what seems to be happening with larger and larger television screens being sold, kind of keeping people at home, you know, watching Netflix, Netflix or on demand, I like to go to the theater, and I love IMAX and IMAX 3D, but I haven't gotten out recently to see uh, many of the latest films. Um, Gosh, uh, 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 Shawshank Redemption, um, 2001. I'm going back a a ways here. Yeah. I'm just uh, the, uh, the original Alien, Alien One. Yes, I just had Ron you know, Shusett. Exorcist, the, I, the first Exorcist, yeah. uh, uh, still to this day. Um, when I was younger, uh, the the Hammer films and the Universal films, uh, Peter Cushing in, in, uh, in, and and uh, Christopher Lee in um, uh, Dracula. It was actually called. Um, oh come on, uh, not Blood of Dracula. That was another one, but the uh, it was the first Dracula film that uh, that. Uh, we saw Christopher Lee play the title character, but it wasn't just called Dracula. It was called something else. Oh, that's terrible. All the 50 sci-fi films still grab me. Yeah. The Giant Claw, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, um, uh, The Puppet People. Uh, yes. you, know. yes. so, you, you, know, you, you say those, and, and I just had uh, Kenny Miller, who was in The Puppet People, on the show. Really? And also... Uh, 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 Mr. Big, uh, Bird Eye Gordon, the producer and writer oh. of the sh- of the movie. Oh my goodness! They were on the show. So, and what was the name of the uh, the, the, the the man that played the scientist? What was his name? Um, because I want to say he went on to wasn't he in Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space? Guy Williams. Yeah, yeah. Yes. No, no, not Guy Williams. No, no. no I, and I knew Guy. May he rest in peace. No, it was uh, the, uh, the the antagonist. Uh, oh, Jonathan. Uh, yes. Jonathan Harris. Yes, I want to say that he might have played the. 
the scientist? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, th- those, all of those, uh, th- those are the things that I cut my teeth on when I was a kid that yeah. got me interested in wanting to be in the movies. Yep, yeah, yeah. You know? And see. Rio Bravo and, and the, the, the Magnificent Seven and, and uh, uh, the, the Lee Marvin films and the, the, the um, uh, Steve McQueen in, um, oh, what's the film? Um, um, Dirty Dozen. You know, those those grand old films, yeah. and there's a lot of wonderful filmmaking today. A lot, you know, people that say, "Oh no, the classics are the best." No, the classics were classics, and yet there are those today. Anything that Spielberg touches, mm. I cannot wait to see Lincoln. They say Lincoln um, is fantastic. You no, know, we have we have these brilliant guys that are that are and gals that are making films. We're very fortunate to be living in this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Barry, this has been a lot of fun, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to My talk pleasure. to us. And, uh, My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for asking me. What a great guy. Barry Pearl, duty from Greece, one of the T-Birds. Just a, so much fun to listen to him talk about uh, what he's done and his directing and his uh, all the different shows he's been on and everything. And, of course, Greece. What else can you say about Greece? It's just such a great film. And uh, we thank him very much. He's a great guest, and I appreciate that he took so much time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. If you're going to be in the L.A. area, be sure to check out Barry Pearl as he directs a version of Greece on stage. And uh, you can we're going to have a link at On com where you can get to Barry's site and you can get all the information for that and have a great time watching that uh, play on screen as he goes back to the original version of it. So that'll be interesting to see. So be sure to check that out. Well, if you have a request for somebody you'd like to hear on On Screen and Beyond, feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com is where you should send the email to. I will see what I can do about getting that person on. With the holiday season coming up, I'd like to make a request if everybody would, uh, if you're going to do shopping on some of the sponsors that we we have at onscreenandbeyond.com, if you could just click on their ad, which will take you to their site, it will give us a little credit for that. It'll help support the show. It's the best way you can support the show, other than listening, of course, and telling a friend. But uh, it'll help get us a a little something, and uh, it doesn't cost you any more. It's just a a different way to get there, and we get credit for it. So uh, if you want to do that, that would be a big help. We'd appreciate it, especially during this holiday season when you get a chance and you're going to shop anyways. It doesn't cost you anything. doesn't do anything different. It's just a a way to help the the show. So uh, we'd appreciate it if you do that. Well. That is it. We got another great guest coming your way shortly, so I hope you're going to stick around because we are just going and going and going. We got great guests lining up more all the time. Love hearing from you. Be sure to send us an email if you want to chat and uh, like us on Facebook and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week of On Screen and Beyond. Next week, we got another great guest coming your way. So until then, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.